Well, good morning. That song is a good introduction to our message this morning because the ending of the, the passage we're looking at, Paul says, Maranatha, and that is, O Lord, come. Are we looking for the coming of the Lord for his return? So this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians and turn to chapter 16. And today, we come to the end of the book of Corinthians. And we've learned a lot about the church, the church at Corinth. I want to ask you, have you ever received a love letter? Have you ever received a love letter from somebody? Maybe it was a love letter written on a card or a love note. Or maybe it wasn't a love letter because letters aren't as common today. Maybe it was a love email or a love text message, or tweets, or Instagram posts. But whatever it was, maybe you've received a letter that was from somebody else that expressed their love to you. What kind of things will be written in that letter to you? It might include some terms of endearment or expression of why that person loves you. What if the letter also included areas of rebuke or correction? It may not seem like a love letter at that point. And as we look at the book of Corinthians, to the, the letter that was written to the Corinthians may not initially seem like a love letter to them. But as we've studied the Corinthians and we looked at what Paul has said to them, he's talked about many of their problems. And Corinthians, the church, was a difficult church. And there was difficulties with divisions in the church. There was problems of carnality, problems with immorality, problems of people taking fellow believers to court. There was um, problems of fornication and problems of meats offered to idols and what we should do about that. Problems with believers abusing the Lord's Supper. Problems with spiritual gifts. Problems with lack of love. Problems of speaking in tongues and problems with the wrong teaching about the resurrection of the dead. And so even though that this letter is addressing so many different issues, so many different problems here and there, it is actually a letter of love to the church. And Paul wrote this letter to them out of his deep concern for them. He rebuked them where necessary, but it was out of love for them and for their spiritual condition. He told them what they needed to hear. And though it may have hurt, it was necessary. And Paul writes and shows how much he loves this church in 2 Corinthians, he writes, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And the one thing, the one major thing that the Corinthians lacked was love. Love is crucial for the church. The church must be marked by love. So this morning, I'm going to look at our passage and we're going to look at five areas at the, where the church, five areas a church marked by love should demonstrate. So the first characteristic is that the church should demonstrate love in all that you do. Demonstrate love in all that you do. And we see that in verse 14 of chapter 16. It says, let all that you, be do, let all that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. And if we were to look at the issues 
written to the letter, um, in the letter to the Corinthians, we would see that love would have solved so many of the issues and prevented so many of the issues from happening. You have believers who took other believers to court. But if they demonstrated love, this wouldn't have happened. Because love is kind and love does not behave rudely. Believers were showing off their liberties by eating meat offered to idol, which was offending other weak believers. But Paul says love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. Believers were showing off their spiritual gifts and how great they were. They were proud of what they could do, but they failed to use it to edify the body. And so they were lacking in love. They failed to use their gifts in love. And Paul says in chapter 13, if I give my body to be burned, if I do some great sacrifice, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. My son Justin has been memorizing verses of the Bible. And one of the first verses that he's memorized uh, was 1 John 3.18, which says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's a very striking verse. We shouldn't love each other superficially, just with our words. It's easy to say, I love you, but it's another thing to take action. Love is an action. Love is a choice. And we can demonstrate our love to someone by putting it into action. And so 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do. We want to remember that in all things, that in all that we do, we love. As we remember to love in all things, I want to look back at verse 13, because that's also part of the passage. And in this section, Paul gives five different um, he's, he's giving his uh, final farewells, his salutations, and he gives five different exhortations. Five final exhortations to the Corinthians. But these are not only written to the Corinthians, they're also applicable to Calvary Bible Chapel today. And these exhortations, they're, um, if you look at them, they're present tense imperatives, which means they're not just nice suggestions. They, these are like a military general who's barking out orders to his soldiers and saying, watch, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. The final commandment sums them all up to love. So let's look at each commandment. Watch. It has the idea of to be awake, to be alert. It's a command to be on the lookout and wake up, know what's going on, what's going on around you. And it reminds me of the garden, uh, the disciples who were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And Jesus says to them, go over there, watch, and pray. So Jesus goes and prays to the Father. And what does he find them doing? They're asleep. <laughs> They're asleep. They're not watching. They're not doing very good. And this was like the Corinthians. The Corinthians were like this spiritually. They were spiritually asleep when they should have been watchful. And if they were more alert, to their more alert to their surroundings, more alert to what was going on, it would have prevented some of the problems. This past Monday, we had a police officer here um, giving a presentation on personal safety. And they, uh, he showed a video of a jogger. It was a woman alone jogging, and she wasn't with any of her friends, and she was on her cell phone. And she was, her eyes were distracted, glued to the screen, she was also wearing headphones, 
So her ears were covered. Then as she was running along the, the, the route, suddenly somebody behind some bushes jumped out and attacked her. She was caught off guard because she was oblivious to what was going on around her. She was caught off guard. And we see all the time today, people are distracted by their cell phones. They're so glued to their screens that they don't know what's going on at all around them. We have a video of somebody completely distracted and see how dangerous it can be to not watch. And there are dangers because we don't know what's going on. This, can, this can't be this way spiritually. We can't let the things of this world distract us so much that we get caught unaware. So we must recognize spiritual dangers and issues. And as you look through the whole book of the letters of the Corinthians, Paul says repeatedly to the Corinthians, do you not know? Do you not know this? Do you not know that? And he said, in a sense, the Corinthians didn't know. They were unaware of what was happening. For, for example, Paul says to them that he brings up a man that in the church was committing sexual immorality with his father's wife. And even people outside the church wouldn't do such a thing. And says, Paul says, you're putting up with it. You're letting this happen. Paul says, do you not know that even a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You're proud about this and you're not mourning over this sin, but you're accepting of it. But you need to take this person and put him out of the church because it's affecting not only this person, but it's affecting the church. So watch. Next is stand fast in the faith. Another imperative for the Corinthians and uh, Christians today is to stand firm in the faith. You should know what you believe and why you believe it. To be grounded in the truth and in the faith so that nobody could change your mind or sway you one way or the other. But the, the Corinthians were not like this. They were in a city which praised intellect. They praised wisdom and um, philosophy. And so they were like tumbleweed. They were like tumbleweed, which is like a plant that has very shallow roots or no roots at all. And so when a, another idea came along, it just swooped them away, just blew them this way or that way because they were carried away by every wind of doctrine that would come. It wasn't, they weren't rooted in anything solid, and so they were very weak. So the idea is to be immovable, it's to have your feet firmly planted on the ground or rooted so that you can't be moved or swayed by anything that comes along. And it starts by knowing the Word of God. It starts by careful study of the Word of God and knowing the truths um, that God has revealed to us. Next is be brave. And for the Corinthians and for early churches, persecution was very common and very real for them. Paul had just, uh, had just finished encouraging the believers that, they, um, that the dead will rise, once, will rise soon and will rise one day, but they have an opportunity of taking um, or putting themselves, um, risking their lives for the gospel and for the spreading of the gospel. And so being brave, being courageous could have been a good command for them. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not, be a def- no, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
He could also be saying this as well. And other translations may say this uh, in, your, in your Bibles. It says, act like men. Act like men. And so he's really saying to them, you know, Corinthians, you need to grow up. You're not acting like grown-ups. You're acting like babies. You're spiritually immature. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.1, Brethren, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul is telling them to grow up, to be mature. Next, be strong. The encouragement would be to be strong in the Lord. The Corinthians thought that they were strong, but in fact, they were actually weak. Many of them were even physically weak because of sin in the church, because God was chastening them for what they were doing. We should not be strong in and of ourselves, but our strength should come from the Lord. And we see Paul encouraging the Ephesian believers this way. He says to them in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What are we to be strong against? Well, it says that we put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare going on all the time. And if we aren't watchful, if we don't stand firm in the faith, if we aren't mature or courageous and strong, we will be a prime target for the enemy. We will be vulnerable to going astray and falling into sin. So be strong in the Lord. So verse 14, let all that you be done, let all that you do be done with love. First, a church, church must be marked by love in all that they do. Second, a church marked by love will demonstrate love in their service. Church marked by love will demonstrate love in service, in serving one another. Verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. We don't know much about the household of Stephanus other than that they were firstfruits of Achaia. And so Achaia is the region um, where Corinth was. You have Corinth is the capital of that region, and then Athens is another city in that region. So this is where the Corinthians are located, that area. And these believers, the Stephanus household, was, were the first fruits. They were the first of the harvest of believers. And we also know that Paul baptized this household. But what's the most remarkable about this household is what it says here. It says that they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They devoted themselves. Other translations say they addicted themselves to the service, to the ministry of the saints. So this household was 
involved. They were dedicated and faithful to ministering to the needs of the saints. They saw a gap that needed to be filled, and so they put themselves into the ministry full-time. They were so addicted to the work that it would be almost impossible to pull them away from the work. They just loved it. They loved to do the work of the Lord. And so they were serving the saints and serving the saints. And this word for ministry, ministering to the saints, is where we get the word diakonos or deacon. And we use that, that term originally meant to serve tables, to wait on tables. But it has now grown to mean also that someone who serves the church, someone, someone in the church out of love, it's service. And so they invested in their time and their lives in serving the saints. They had such a love for the saints that they would do whatever they could to serve others. And they put the interests of, interest of the saints above their own. So how can we today, how can we be like this household of Stephanus? How can we be addicted or devoted to the service of the saints? Well, let's, look at, let's look at a few areas of ministry in which we can serve the saints. Well, first and foremost, in any service, let all things, let all that you do be done with love. What is our motive for serving others? Is it to show off how spiritual you are or is it to gain praise? Or is it done out of love? It is done, or it needs to be done, to do it out of love for the saints. We talked about spiritual gifts. Another uh, area for ministry is spiritual gifts. And we talked about spiritual gifts for about four weeks. Um, and we can use your spiritual gifts as a service to the saints. You have been given gifts, and it's for the edification of the body. Another area, the Church of Macedonia served the saints through their gifts of money. So we can serve by gifts of money to others who are in need. Others can use their service to the saints by serving food, by, by providing meals or dinners, or buying groceries to somebody. Another area is a service of encouragement, refreshing believers, building them up. And finally, teaching the word, the ministry of teaching the word. Paul says in Acts, or it's said in Acts, they devoted themselves to prayer in the ministry of the word, the service of the word. And Paul points out that the Stephanus household was devoted they were devoted to serving. And he's saying, here's, here's really an example of service. Here's an example of somebody that is devoted and, and is in the work of the Lord. And they are faithful in that. And so he's saying to them, Paul, Paul's saying, look at this example. Look at these faithful men. And he says, submit to them. The Corinthians should not despise them, but instead take note and follow their lead. We should look at examples among ourselves of people to follow, to, to, um, to get underneath. They were to submit to those who were serving faithfully out of love. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, it says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in the Lord, or sorry, very highly in love for their work's sake. 
Be at peace among yourselves. Another thing that's remarkable about the household of Stephanus is that they are recorded forever in Scripture for their work of the Lord. And it's a reminder to us that the Lord really does notice and record all that work that you have done for him. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58b says, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And in Hebrews 6, he says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Imitate those around you and serve one another in love. Third, a church marked by love will demonstrate love for one another. They will demonstrate one, love for one another. In verse 17, Paul says, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. There were a few men from Corinth who had come to Paul, and they refreshed Paul. And when you're around Stephanus, Achaicus, and Fortunatus, they refresh you. Isn't that nice? To be around people that refresh your spirit, that, that rejuvenate you, encourage you. They weren't people that drained the life out of Paul, but they refreshed, they built him up. Have you been around people like that? Have you been around people that are refreshing? You're talking to somebody and you, you know they just encourage you and they uplift you. I remember a lady, uh, Marie Alcorn, who used to come to Calvary. Now she's home with the Lord. She was such a sweet lady who loved the Lord and she loved the saints. I remember some of the conversations that I would have with her and um, you could just sense the joy of the Lord beaming from her. You know, you could, she was always bringing the conversation back to the Lord and I remember sometimes I, would, uh, I was feeling down or discouraged and then I was talking to Marie and she'd have some way of just bringing back the Lord and re- reminding me of his promises and I would walk away going, wow, I'm encouraged, I'm, I'm refreshed. And that's the, way, that's the way the church should be. That's the way the church should be. We should be a refreshment and an encouragement to one another, right? That's why we gather together on Sundays. It is to hear the word, but we also gather to be with one another. We gather to have fellowship with one another, to um, refresh one another and encourage each other. So ask yourself this question. Am I refreshing to others? Who do I know that might need refreshment? Who can I refresh today or this week? As we fellowship with one another, let us remember, let all that you do be done with love. Fourthly, a church marked by love demonstrates love to other assemblies. Verse 19 says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation of my 
with my own hand, Paul's. And even though these last few lines might seem like typical farewells and goodbyes and greetings, I don't want to skim over it because it really gives insight to the genuine depth of love that other surrounding churches had for each other. And it is an example of how we should love each other and love other churches around us. Fellow believers at Calvary Bible Chapel, fellow saints at the churches in the Bay Area, in Southern California, and across the nation, across the world, we should show our love to other assemblies, other churches. And what's interesting about the people mentioned in this greeting is the, the impact that they had at the Church of Corinth. You have Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and his wife Priscilla had run into Paul and joined them in, and worked with them. They had something in common. They, they both were tent makers by trade. And so they joined with that, and they also began to serve the Lord with Paul. And so at some point in the, their journey, we know that Aquila and Priscilla ran into a man named Apollos. And Apollos was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures, it says. And he knew and he taught passionately the things of the scripture, and he taught it accurately. But he knew only a portion of it. He, didn't know, he only knew up to John, John the Baptist. He didn't know about Jesus Christ and, the, and his death and his burial and resurrection. He didn't know about all that, but he knew everything up to that point of John. And so Aquila and Priscilla heard this guy speaking eloquently and talking and, and, and sharing the gospel, and then pulled him aside and, say, and taught him more accurately the word of God. Aquila and Priscilla served Paulus out of love so that he might know better the truth, truth more accurately. And what that did is it made him more effective and more useful. Shortly after that, Apollos desired to go to Achaia. And Achaia is the region where the, Corinth, uh, where the city of Corinth is located. It says in Acts 18.27, says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he rev- vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos actually played a key role in the spiritual lives of the Corinthians. He was a huge help to new believers. He was on fire for the Lord, and he refuted the Jews in public ministry. And, he, and through his ministry, he won many to, the, to Christ. So Aquila and Priscilla's actions, they had a trickle-down effect on the Corinthians. They first affected Apollos, which affected the Corinthians and those in the area. They were an example to the church. And so that adds a lot more weight to the greeting from Aquila and Priscilla. When they greet them heartily in the Lord, you see that they had an effect on their lives. They were dear to the Corinthians. Next, Aquila and Priscilla They showed hospitality. It says that they opened up their church to a home. Uh, They opened their home up to a church. Sorry. And it's a good reminder to remember that this building, this this thing that we're in, is not a church. We may call it a church. People might say it is a church, but this isn't really a church building. All we are, all, all it is, is that this is a building that we're in. But the church is made up of people who love the Lord not a building. 
You are the church, and we gather together in a building to meet. But even Calvary, we didn't start in just a building like this. We, weren't, we didn't start in this. We, had, um, we started out with Howard and Kathy opening up their homes and uh, opening up their home, and, and that was the beginning of the church um, meeting in a home. And they showed hospitality and, and love um, to the saints by allowing people to move their furniture around and, and damage different things and the carpet and all these other things. They showed great hospitality. And they did it out of love for one another. Next verse 20 says, All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Emphasis on the word holy. In their culture, this was the normal way of greeting each other. Even today, the, there are cultures where this is normal, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in our, in our culture today, we might do a handshake or a hug, fist bump, but we had to greet, the idea is to greet each other out of love. Greet, greet one another with love. And I think it's safe to say that there was not a lot of greeting each other with holy kisses at the Church of Corinth because they were divided. There wasn't much love. But remember, let all things be done with love. So to recap, we have four points we've covered so far. The church should do all things with love. The church should show love by serving the saints. The church should show love to one another. And the church should show love to other assemblies. The last one should be our motivation to do the first four. The church is marked by our love. The church is marked by our love for the Lord. Our love for the Lord comes first. First John 4:11 says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another." Then it's our motivation to serve others to love one another, to put others first, it's because it's out of love for the Lord. Love for the Lord Jesus Christ comes first and is a, true, and is a mark of a true believer. But not everyone is marked by love. In, in verse 22, Paul says a sobering statement. says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. This is a very serious and strong statement. If someone does not love the Lord, then they are accursed, meaning anathema. That word means devoted to destruction or doomed, cursed. It's God's wrath upon them. It's a place of torment that was reserved for the devil and his angels. And he's talking about people who reject the Lord and do not love the Lord. And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, Look, I've written to you this whole letter. I pointed out some areas where you've allowed false teachers to take positions of leadership, which they should have never been in. And they are leading the church astray. They are corrupting the church. And many of you are being deceived by them. So watch. You have people in your midst. They're like sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing who do not love the Lord. These false teachers demonstrate that they do not love the Lord by their actions. They rejected Paul as an apostle. They hated God's word by rejecting it. And they denied the resurrection of the dead. 
And Paul says, Maranatha, which says, O Lord, come. As long as you have people who are false, they're going to cripple the church. So he cries out, O Lord, come. So the false teachers would be removed from their midst and that judgment would be brought upon them. Why? It's because these, are, these, these people are so destructive to the church. They're going to cripple the church, destroy it. Now, not only does this verse apply to false teachers, but also anyone who does not love the Lord. Now, if you look at it, the Lord has shown you such great kindness. He's shown you the greatest example of love. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the whole world, God so loved the world, and that includes everybody, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. In, <clears throat> to die on the cross for your sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. The reason Jesus came to the earth was so that you could have your sins forgiven. The Bible says that whoever believes in him has everlasting life. And two verses later, John 3:18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Anyone who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is under a curse and are destined for hell. And if you continue to reject the Lord and die without believing in him, you will be in torment for all eternity. God has shown you love and provided a way that your sins can be forgiven. Have you done that already? Have you given your life to the Lord and accepted him as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I urge you to do so. The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off to another day. You may not have tomorrow. For the believer, the one who has given his life to Christ, his or her life to Christ, the Bible says, there is no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. To those who love the Lord, Paul closes and says, in verse 23 and 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with, be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul signed the letter with his own signature. Just as he always does in his signature way, he also says, he ends with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And God's grace, we've just been talking about it, it's, it's what he's shown us. It's our undeserved favor towards us. And salvation is not about merits, about what we've done or what we deserve, what we deserve but it's all about God's grace. It's undeserved favor towards us. And when we continue to, and as God continues to show grace to us, um, even after we're saved, God continues to show grace to us. And the more that we recognize the grace that God has shown us, it should cause us to love the Lord even more. The more that God has shown us grace, the more we realize we don't deserve what he's given us. We don't, we're not entitled to what he's given us. We've all deserved, we've all given grace. We don't deserve it. It should spur, spur us on to love him. And Paul ends by affirming his love to the church. 
Although it may have been a difficult letter to write for Paul, Paul wrote it out of love to the church because he wanted them to grow. He wanted the church to be marked by love. Today, we can also learn so much from this letter. So much can be learned and taken away and applied to our lives. How can we take what we learned over the past weeks, apply it to our lives today? How can we be a church in Fremont marked by love? Let all that you do be done with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the, the truths that are in there. Lord, we thank you for this letter to the Corinthians and what we've learned um, from that. Lord, we pray that we would be um, watchful, standing firm in the faith, Lord, and that we would be a church that's, that does everything out of love, that all our actions would be focused and centered on loving one another, that we would do it, all things through love, and we'd be a church marked by our love for you and for others, Lord. We pray that you might help us apply this to our lives this week. pray this in Jesus' name.